Thank you for being here today. I know it's a really, really full, busy time of the year. And uh, I think that especially this time of the year, kind of what we see most of uh, in our own life and definitely uh, in the lives of other people, if we're not willing to admit it ourselves, is a little bit of feelings of being overwhelmed, maybe, or stressed, uh, maybe anxious. And um, in general, I think it's not just this time of the year uh, when things just get crazy and work piles up because we're off work a lot more. So we feel like we have that much more to do uh, with projects uh, at work that are just building up and then all the tension of maybe seeing a family that we're not sure we want to see. And then there's the list of people in our family that we know we don't want to see. And it just causes all of this stress and tension and anxiety and pressure. And I think that probably if we were honest, it's not really even just this season, but it seems like that people in general are just kind of like this all the time. And we are constantly and consistently feeling uh, that overwhelmed feeling all of the time and being anxious and just the pressure to get through life or maybe just general feelings of um, apathy or just lack of meaning and purpose. And I'm just kind of going through the motions again. I'm just kind of doing life today again. And we just kind of live in that world. And I think because of that, it all comes to a head at the end of the year because it's the most intense time of the year for some of those feelings and those thoughts. And so it's a good thing that we're actually thinking about the next year. And we have thoughts like, man, how can next year be better than this one? And whether you had a really great year or whether you had a really difficult, terrible year, we're kind of thinking in that direction. How could things get better? What could uh, I change this year that might help me in the next year? How can I relieve some of this pressure or relieve some of this tension that I'm carrying, this weight that I'm carrying in the new year? What changes can I make? And so we have these things that we call New Year's resolutions. And so some of us make them, some of us don't, but no doubt for most of us, these types of thoughts and these types of things are at least kind of on our mind as we're going into a new year. And so I did a quick search and I wanted to find some uh, funny New Year's resolutions that people had made. And maybe one or two of these are on your list. But the first one I found was this in the top five funniest, stop drinking orange juice after I brush my teeth. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about right there. Uh, this next one, uh, maybe this is great advice for somebody that you know who can't get a job. It's keep to myself that I have authority issues in my next job interview. Uh, don't point, okay? Don't point. Uh, the next one is wash my hands after going to the bathroom. Now, I'm just saying, I've been in the bathroom with some of you. You may want to adopt this one, okay? Just saying, this may not be all that funny. This could be the real deal for you, okay? This could change your life this year. Uh, this one is one of my favorites right here. Watch more kitten videos on YouTube. That's, that's great life goals right there. Spend your time doing that. Uh, and then the last one is buy bigger clothes to account for next year's holiday. So just go ahead and size up everything that you buy this year. But we all have uh, these ideas, these thoughts of these New Year's resolutions or things that we just want to do differently or focus on in a different way. Uh, some of us have stopped doing this altogether because the reality is that 92% of all New Year's resolutions made uh, stop by February 14th on Valentine's Day. 92% uh, of those. So if you're in that 92%, you may have already checked out on this. Like, I'm not even going to think about what could be better because I know it doesn't work anyway. Uh, I never follow through on any of this stuff, so I just give up. And so we come into this room, maybe in a lot of different places with that. But I want us to uh, just open ourselves up to the idea that maybe this coming year could actually be better than the last. Maybe it is possible to implement some things into our lives, to make some changes in our lives, to become a little bit more intentional with the way that we live and actually experience a better year this year than we had last year. The crazy thing about resolutions and all of the, the dreams and the ideas and the things that we often think that we want to do or we want to accomplish, um, we as human beings, whether you're a follower of Christ or not a follower of Christ, we kind of all have a lot of the same basic needs. And therefore, we actually all want uh, mostly the same things in life. 
And so what I mean is, uh, most of us would say, I would really like to be in good health. I mean, nobody really wants to go in and out of doctor's appointments all the time. Uh, none of us want to have to wonder if this is going to be the day that my, uh, my last good artery, like finally, you know, like has the problem and the issue, and this is the moment, this is the day. Like, we don't really want to go through life like that. Uh, we want to be able to be physically able to enjoy things and travel and play with our kids, play with our grandkids. Like, we, in general, most people, we want to be in good health. <clears throat> most people, financially, we want to be not even just rich. Like, that would be cool, whatever rich is. And the reality is, like, no one is rich because every time you get to the level that you think was rich, that's not rich anymore and you want more, right? So whatever rich is, I don't know. But we at least would like to be kind of financially secure. We would like to be able to pay the bills and not have to worry about where grocery money is going to come from and how we're going to keep the lights on. And we would like to be kind of financially able to help other people maybe sometimes that are in need. We want to feel free to be generous with uh, building the kingdom and supporting a charity or uh, giving uh, tithe and offering to the church. We would just like to be kind of okay in our finances. Uh, many of us, we would like to wake up each day and experience purpose and meaning. And we know that the gifts and the abilities and the talents and desires and passions that we've been given are being used in a way that adds value and brings life to other people. And that what we're doing when we wake up and we live our lives and we interact with people and we use our time and energy and talent, we're using these things in a way that bring meaning to the world and they bring meaning to our life and they, they bring fulfillment to our life as a whole. All of us in life, we were made this way. All of us want deep, meaningful connections and relationships with other people. Especially if you're married or you have kids, absolutely. You want that deep connection and meaningful relationship with your spouse. And you want to raise kids that actually want to come home to visit after they don't have to anymore because they love you so much. And they want to hang out with each other. And you want to build that kind of a home and the relationships that uh, are really close to us and our family and our friends. We want to know that we have people in our life that we can count on. And we want to know that there's some people in our life that they really know us and they love us anyway. And we know them and we love them anyway. And we're family and we're in this life together and we strengthen one another and we sharpen one another. And we all want that in life. And for most people, even people who would say, I'm not a follower of Christ or I'm not a Jesus follower. I'm not sure about the Christian thing. We're all looking for meaning outside of ourselves. We're all looking to some sort of moral compass outside of ourselves. We're all looking toward um, some creator, God, whatever that would be for you. But for most of us in this room, it's a deeper, more intimate relationship with Jesus. And we want to have a great relationship with Jesus. And we believe that he is the source and the meaning and the direction and leading in our life that we all want. And so we're pursuing that. And so in general terms, although we can all have many, many different New Year's resolutions and we can all have different goals in life and all these different things, we kind of all, as humans, want a lot of the basic same types of things. And so we have all these dreams. We have all these ideas of what life could be like and to be stable in all these areas and for these areas to be healthy and thriving and all that would be a good life. And so sometimes we, we look at other people and we say, wait, if, it, if my life could just be like theirs, I mean, they have it all together. I mean, look at that person and they have everything. It seems like their kids love them and they have the perfect husband and she has the perfect body. And I just wish that I could be like that. And we have all these ideas that are either in our own mind or that come from us comparing ourselves to one another. We have these hopes and dreams. And yet so often, so many of us, us walk through life and we never experience the reality. Our reality is still, I'm just kind of overwhelmed. I'm just, I'm just stressed. I, I feel anxious all the time. And I'm always walking around just worried about what other people think and what they want me to do. And I'm just, I don't even know why I'm even here. Am I really, am I, do I really matter? Am I really good at anything? And so we have all these kinds of thoughts. And, and I think, I think, for most people, it kind of seems like that, at least in one or more of those areas. And I think that this year, we could take some steps where we could actually experience the life that God has planned 
for us. I think that if we look at some of the famous heroes of Scripture, we can find some things in their life that begin to point us in a direction that could lead us toward understanding and maybe implementing some things in our own life that could change the trajectory for us this year, that could change the direction and the course that we're heading in this year, where we could step into some of these hopes and dreams and these ideas of the things that we really all want. We could experience this. And so I want to look at a few of these characters. I want to start with David. And David became a king, and he became known as a man after God's own heart. He was the one who defeated Goliath. And whether you've been in church your whole life or you've never been in church before, you've at least heard the reference of David and Goliath. And maybe uh, in watching even a sports game, they might, the announcers may even compare it to this team is like Goliath and this team is like David. And will the underdog pull it off today? And it's just kind of this reference that's out there. And because it's David, I mean, he's known as this hero. This story is known to all of us. And we've heard of this man named David. He's the hero in the story. There was a woman named Ruth, and Ruth actually became the great, great, great grandmother of David. And through the lineage of David in the line of David came Jesus Christ himself. And so she was a woman. Her life was significant. Her life matters, and she's remembered for that uh, who David came through, and then ultimately Jesus. There was a guy named Daniel, and again, many of us have heard the story of Daniel in the lion's den, and he was thrown into the pit of lions, and yet God was able to send his angels there to close the mouths of lions, and he was not devoured by them. And he spent the night in a pit with lions, and he came out just fine because God showed up. And so we remember Daniel for that. We remember some of Daniel's friends, and I put Daniel's friends because I don't know how to spell their names, but it's Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. Yeah, you try to spell that, okay? No, don't try to spell that. You'll get distracted the rest of the message. Don't worry about it. It's Daniel's friends, okay? And so they were all friends and they were buddies. And these three men were thrown into a fiery furnace in front of a crowd full of people because the king wanted to take them out. And so he said, I want you to turn the furnace up even hotter than it should be. And I want you to throw these three men in. But when they threw the three men in, the whole crowd saw four people because Jesus was in the fire with them and they were not consumed by the flames. And so we have all of these stories and we see the the dream team of some of these people in the Old Testament. And I could have went through story after story after story of all the heroes in the faith that were recorded in Scripture. But we have these highlight reels, not only just in our minds as we read Scripture, but in the world that we live in, everything is about the highlight. You can get the top 10 in about 30 or 60 seconds sometimes, right? The top 10 plays of the week. And so a player might find themselves getting their little three-second clip on ESPN. And you can see all the great plays of the week that happened. But there's something that happens before the extraordinary. There's something that happens. There were a series of things that happened in the lives of these individuals before they became the hero of the story, before they experienced the greatness that we know of them today. And so when you look at the life of David, David was one who was faithful to what was most important at the time, and all of his brothers went off to war, but his father needed one son to stay at home and help him farm the land and take care of his sheep. And so his dad needed one of the brothers. And so he said, I will remain here. And what will be important to me, Father, is me serving you. And as a part of his duties, he was to take food back and forth to his brothers on the battlefield. And so some days he would be tending the flock for his father. Other days his dad would say, it's time for you to go and deliver some food to your brothers. And then he would come back. And it literally says that he went back and forth, back and forth. But one day was different because he showed up on the battlefield and he saw Goliath come out challenging the army of the Lord. And when no one else would stand up, it was the faithfulness to the important things day after day after day after day of him being faithful to what was most important. And that was the will and the desire of his father and his faithfulness to remain focused on what was most important that allowed him to become the hero in the story later. Ruth made an unwavering commitment to her mother-in-law named Naomi. 
And she was so committed that she said, I will go. And this was not customary in the culture. This was not normal. But her husband had died. And so she went with her mother-in-law and she said, wherever you go, Naomi, I will go with you. And your people will be my people and your God will be my God. She made a focused commitment that she was going to uh, entertain the idea that she would be with her mother-in-law. She would go with her mother-in-law, and that would become the thing that would be most important to her. And because of that, she was in the right place at the right time to meet the right man. And in that uh, relationship, and in that working of God's plan, she became the great-great-grandmother of David. Daniel was a man who was thrown into the lion's den, and he was thrown into the lion's den because he made a focused decision to remain uh, consistent in the things that mattered most. And what mattered most to him was his devotion to God. And so Daniel went and he prayed three times every day. He stopped whatever he was doing. He took a time out from whatever was going on. And so in the morning, noon, and evening, he would go and he would bow and he would pray to his God and he would pray loud enough because he was talking to God and it was genuine and real that other people heard him. And so those who were jealous of him, those who didn't like him because he was getting the promotion that they wanted, because he was getting the accolades that they wanted, they made a rule that you couldn't pray to anybody else. And without the king even realize what had happened, he made the rule and said, anybody who prays, anybody who prays to anyone else outside of this kingdom, anyone who does this will be thrown in the pit of lions. But it was his focused, focus on the main thing, focus on what was most important that ultimately led him to the moment where we know him as the hero and the one that God showed up for and the one that God delivered. But it came through persecution. It came through sacrifice. It came through consistently being willing to do the right thing day after day after day. Consistently doing the best things day after day after day. And Daniel's friends were the same. They made a commitment to focus on what was most important, what was most important to them was only bowing to the one true God. We will not bow to anyone else. And when they would not bow to King Nebuchadnezzar, he threw them in the fire. But it was through their everyday, ordinary commitment to focus on what was most important that brought them to the moment that we all remember today. For every game-changing play, that we've ever seen. We've seen an interview maybe. How did you pull that catch off? I mean, how did you make that run for 95 yards? I mean, how did you make that tackle? And the answer is not, well, I was just in the right place at the right time and it all worked out. No, the answer was, well, I would have to take you back to, to high school. Uh, all my buddies, they decided that they were going to go out and party and I decided that I was going to stay in and I was going to get to bed at 9 or 10 o'clock so that I could wake up at 6 a.m. and go work out. And then the next day when everybody went to party, I instead did my homework. And with my grades combined with my athletic ability, I was able to get into the right college. And then when I got into the right college, again, I continued to, to not party and not make bad decisions and stay eligible. And then I went to practice every single day. And even some of the days when I didn't feel like it, even some of the days when I was a little bit under the weather and I probably could have made an excuse to the coach and he would have believed it, I chose to go to practice anyway. And I worked my butt off every single day over and over and over again. And then when I wasn't at practice, I went and I studied all the the plays and I learned them better than anybody else on the team. And so then when I made it to the NFL and I came to this moment when I stepped on the field after having gone to practice after practice after practice and listening to my coach, doing what he asked me to do, learning the plays, being a good teammate, then I happened to be on the field at the right time when the ball was right here and I pulled the catch down and I made it to the end zone. It's not one single thing. There's always a series of things. And for anybody that you see and you would think of them as successful in one area or another, there are thousands of small, everyday decisions behind that big moment. How did you build that company? 
man, you're such a man of God. Just seems like you're so devoted to God and you're solid, like nothing shakes you. And even though life has thrown so many difficult things at you, you haven't wavered. You didn't bend down to the pressure. I mean, how are you like that? Well, it all started when I was back in college and my faith just became really real for me. And I made it in a point that I was going to wake up every single morning, 30 minutes before wherever I had to be, and I was going to spend some time with Christ. And then all of a sudden, when the thing came that I didn't expect, and then all of a sudden, when the tragedy came into my life that I didn't see coming, all of a sudden, when the doctor's report came my way that I didn't see happening, I had the strength to stand. See, there's thousands of everyday, ordinary, regular decisions that we make that lead us to those game-changing moments that lead us to the wins in life that we all actually want. And so Paul actually compares this kind of life to the wins. And many of us have heard this passage of Scripture, but hopefully we look at it a little differently through the lens of what we're talking about today. It says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer just beating the air. And I don't know if you can visualize that, but a boxer just beating the air is not a boxer. It's just somebody swinging their arms and hoping to hit something. Isn't it true that we often go through life that same way? We're just trying, hoping to land something. I'm hoping something will work. I'm hoping, I just, I'm hoping to, maybe it'll work out. Maybe my marriage will work out. Maybe it'll be okay. I'm, I'm just hoping I have a good relationship with my kids someday. I'm just hoping someday to, to find a good friend. I'm just, I'm just hoping that, that maybe I can I can do a devotion at least once this week. I'm just trying. I'm just, I'm just trying to make it. But I have this whirlwind of life that seems to get in a way. And I have all this laundry to do. And I have all these people that want me to do stuff for them all the time. And there's always going to be those people in your life that are just takers. And they just want you to do something all the time. And when they use you up, by the way, they'll go to the next person who has something to give to them. And there'll always be these things in life that just kind of put this pressure on us where we feel like we can't really focus on what matters most. But the win comes for those who are willing to focus on what matters most. What did he say? Everybody runs. Remember, we all pretty much want the same things, but very few of us actually experience them. Everybody runs, but Paul's saying, here's what I want for you. I want you to run like you really want to win. I want you to run like you can win this thing. I want you to run like it can actually happen. I want you to run like you are going to give it all you have. But he doesn't stop there. He goes one more step and he says, an athlete gives themselves a strict training regimen. An athlete that's in it to win it is somebody who has discipline in their life. Somebody who's willing to go and pray three times a day. Maybe literally, but I'm speaking figuratively. Somebody who's willing to do what other people won't do. I heard a quote this week and it said, Successful people are ones who do things consistently that others only do occasionally. It's the consistent, the consistent living. It's the consistent discipline. It's the consistent training yourself that lead to the wins in life. So what if, what if we lived focused on what matters most? What if we all decided that we were going to live for what matters most? If the things that we said yes to, if the things we gave our time to, the things that we invested ourselves into were the things that actually mattered most, what kind of lives would those look like? So how do we know what matters most? I don't know all the answers to this, but I came up with three things because three kind of works. But here's three kind of filters, three kind of ideas 
that might help point us in a direction where we could determine what things are most important. And the first one is this, is does it align with my design? We were designed and we were created in a certain and specific way by God. Is this in alignment with God's plans and God's desires for me? Because after all, he is my maker and he knows best. He designed me. He made me the way that I am. And from the beginning, he made me to be a certain way. He set a certain amount of of principles, of truth. Am I aligning with that truth? Is this decision in alignment with something that I know is going to bring me, number two, life? The life that God has for me. Does this actually bring me life? There is a a season of time this year, and I just want you to know that this message, this is where I'm headed in the next year. This is something that in the next couple of weeks, these are things that I'm going to be pursuing in my own life, and I'm going to be having these conversations with myself and these conversations with God. How do I implement this? Because I really, really need it. And there was a time this year when everything that I described at the beginning was how I was feeling. Overwhelmed, stressed, I can't handle all of this. I can't do this anymore. I'm not sure if I can make it again. I'm not sure if I can do it again. I'm not sure if I can show up again. And I had some of these feelings and I kept thinking to myself, man, if, if I was really that strong, if I was really a man and a follower after Christ, if I, was, if I was really on it, then I could handle all this stuff. I could handle all the weight that I was trying to carry. I could handle all these things, but what I realized, and it was like, it was like a load of bricks just fell off my shoulders when I realized it because it was like, man, that's the answer is I had so many things taking life from me and not near enough things giving life to me. And it was not a matter of if I was strong enough, if I was godly enough, if the Holy Spirit was dwelling in me enough, if he was showing up in his power enough, I would be okay. No, I was working against a principle that God had set into place. He made us to be ones who would receive from him. He made us dependent on him and his ways because it draws us naturally to him. And that's where we get mixed up in the world because we feel this depletion. And oftentimes the only thing that the world has to offer us, that the culture has to offer us, is a temporary high, a temporary buzz. A temporary relationship where we feel valued for a moment. But they're all temporary. They don't last. But he made us to be dependent on him because him, and when we say him, it's not like come to the altar and experience a moment with him. It's like do things the way that he has set out to do them and those ways will bring you life. Live the kind of way that he has set out for us to live. Don't work against him. And so he created me to need things that bring life. He created me to need good things to be poured into me. And yet I found myself not receiving any of those things. I was eating in a way that destroyed my body. I wasn't consistent in the things that I knew would bring me life in my daily activities of spending time with Jesus in the mornings in prayer, in thought. And God, what do you want to say to me today? What did I experience yesterday in celebrating moments that already happened and all the ways that God was working in me? I was missing those mornings too often because I was too busy. I was missing the being present with my wife and with my kids on a regular basis that I, that I really, really wanted most. And there was always another distraction around. There was always something else happening that felt like it was preventing me from having those. And those were all the things that would actually bring me the life that I needed all along. But I was filling my life full of stuff that was only taking from me at the expense of the very life that God wanted to give me. So when we're thinking about what we need most, does it bring me life? Does it make me better? 
Does it help me grow? Does it rejuvenate my soul? Does it give me a break from all the pressures of this world? And last, does it lead to the outcomes that I want? Meaning, if I continue this, if I continue spending in this way, will this bring me the results that I want? To not have to wonder if I'm going to be able to pay my bills this week. If I continue to handle my relationships in this way, where I'm never open and vulnerable with anyone, where I never take the time to invest myself into other people, and I'm not just a taker constantly withdrawing from every relationship, am I taking time to actually deposit back into relationships and build those relationships in a way that it leads me to what I really want, which is deep and meaningful connections and relationships in life. If I continue in this way, if I continue with this pattern, will it lead me to the outcomes that I really want? And so because of this, I think that there's something better than a New Year's resolution. I think there's something better than just throwing something out there. I would like to have better relationships this year. I would like to be out of debt this year. I would like to lose some weight this year. Those are all well and good, but I think that there's something better that we could adopt into our lives that would actually make a difference, and that is to adopt and create a rhythm in our life of healthy patterns, a rhythm, a consistent, repeated way of living life, a consistency in focusing on what matters most, the things that are in line with God's desires for me, the things that bring me life and the things that lead to the outcomes I want? What if the rhythm of our daily lives became all about living for the things that matter most, became about focusing on the things that mattered most? Rhythm has three things. And I'll share those with you quickly and I'll expound on them, but something wildly important I read that in a book this week, and I love the language of that. But finding something that we're wildly passionate about, that we know is this wildly important. There are many things we could put in a box and say these are all important. But what's wildly important? Giving ourselves a specific measure and then following critical action to follow those things up and actually see them happen. So I want to give you a, a little picture of something here. But what you, what you don't know, some of you, you see up here when the band plays, you can see in their ear, they're wearing, they have an in-ear monitor, and it's just a headphone, but they have it tucked in their ear. But what most of you probably don't know is what's in there. What are they listening to? There's a little bit of their voice in there. Maybe there's some other instruments, that kind of thing. But the primary thing they hear is this. a metronome. This is what keeps everybody in the same time. This is what allows the guitar player to play in rhythm with the bass player. This is what allows the keyboard player to stay in time with the singer. This is what keeps everything right where it needs to be. And so although the guitar is important, although the piano is important, although the singers are important, all of that stuff is important, it has to start The music can only be made and actually sound good when everybody is playing in the same time. And so the drummer begins to start and he plays to this. And the guitar player, he can come in and he can match this same tempo as they're playing the song. And the piano player can then pick up their part and they begin to play in the same way. And all of a sudden you have something that plays beautifully together. What if when we implemented these three things into harmony, and I'll explain those, what if that created the kind of life that we really want? What if that allowed us to experience some of the results that we really, really want? You know what this does? It tells us that if somebody comes in and they've got their guitar on and they think they're really cool and they have all the pedals and stuff here that make everything sound really awesome, but they start playing to this rhythm right here, it said, that doesn't work. That, I'm sorry, that's not the song that we're playing. That's not the rhythm that we're all on to. This is where I am. I'm right here. This is what's most important right now in this moment. 
This is my rhythm. This is what I'm establishing in my life. This is where I'm focusing on what's actually most important. And this doesn't fit. It tells us what to stay no, say no to. It tells us what we can add in to our lives that fit with this rhythm. And so when we look at what's wildly important to us, I think that probably most of us, we could come up with the right things there. It probably starts with our relationship with Christ. That's wildly important. That has to be in place or nothing else works. It's definitely one of those rhythm pieces. Everything builds on that. Everything builds on that tempo. Everything builds on that rhythm. We would say maybe if we're married, our relationship with our spouse, that's, that's wildly important. If our relationship is out of whack at home with our spouse, pretty much everything else in life is out of whack too. That has to be there. That has to be the rhythm. I have to focus on that as something that's wildly important to me. We might say our kids. But see, most of us, everybody's running, right? Most of us can come up with those few things that we would say are wildly important, but we often stop there. And so we say things like, I would really like to lose weight. But I think if we could push ourselves into that training mode that Paul talked about, if we could push ourselves into that discipline where we're not just wishfully thinking, that we could see some success. And that's where our specific measure comes in. So let me show you how this works. So I want to go into this year and let's say I want to lose 10 pounds. The next level of this, giving myself a specific measure, because after all, we're in this to win. How do you win without a scoreboard? How do you run the race to win without a time clock? See, it's automatically built in, but there's no win and I hope I lose some weight this year. There's no win and I would really like to be closer in my relationship with Jesus and be on a different level at the end of this year than I was last year. I, 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 really, I know I need to get closer to God. I know I need to go to church more. And so we have these things and they're all okay. But what if we said, I want to have a, a deep, intimate, meaningful relationship with my spouse? Okay, how would that happen? Well, I think... That maybe if we started having more meaningful conversations where we were actually vulnerable with one another, with what's going on in our lives, what's happening on the inside, and we weren't just talking about schedule and job and how we're going to get this thing or that thing done and pay this bill and that bill. Maybe if we had actual meaningful conversations, maybe, maybe that would be how we could end up having a better marriage, a better relationship. And so then the critical action becomes, okay, well, what's the one thing that I'm going to do? What rhythm am I going to set into place to make that happen? And maybe that's weekly date night. Every week we're going to have a date night. Every week we're going to go on a date night. And you know what that does? Every Monday's date night, let's say. All of a sudden, so-and-so calls you for the 87th birthday party this year that you're invited to. And they say it's going to be on Monday night at 6 o'clock. You know what that does? Sorry, that's not in my rhythm. This year I'm focusing on what is most important. And what's most important to me this year is having deep, intimate connection, meaningful conversations with my wife. And I know that that means that we're going on a date night this week. I'm sorry I can't come to your birthday party. It doesn't fit with what I'm trying to do. Oh, you should go on vacation with us. It'll be a blast. We're going to be gone. It's only four days. It'll be a great time. You should really go with us. It's going to be so much fun. No, you got to do it. I'm sorry, but I made a decision that in the next six months I'm getting out of debt. And the way I'm going to do that is I'm going to put that $2,000 that I normally spend on a vacation, and I'm going to put it toward my debt. I'm sorry, it's not in my rhythm. Maybe next year, maybe next year I'll have more freedom to do that. But this year, I'm sorry that doesn't fit. The answer is no, because I'm right here. This is what I'm doing. This is where I am. This is my rhythm. When we establish the rhythm, it sets the tone for everything else. Now, I know that this is really, really, really close to self-help here. This is borderline self-help. But personally, I believe that the best way that we can help ourselves is to do things the way Jesus said to do them. And I think when we do that, it does help ourselves. And there's something that God put in us that's a survival mechanism and we are made to pursue the things 
that help us thrive. That's just the way that we're made. God made us that way. And so I don't always think that self-help is somehow this unbiblical thing. Now, apart from Christ, it's pretty much worthless because we'll fail every time. But what Paul wrote in another place was, somehow I, I keep doing the things that I don't want to do, and then I do the thi- or I don't do the things that I actually want to do. And it's like he's having this conflicting conversation. Why do I keep doing this? Why do I keep doing that? Why don't I do this stuff? I know that this stuff brings me life and this stuff doesn't. It drains me. It depletes me. It leaves me frustrated, overwhelmed, consumed, anxious. But on this other side, I have all these good things that I know to do and yet I don't do them. And what he follows up with was after that statement was the answer is the spirit of Christ. The answer to that conflict is when we follow the ways of Christ and Jesus sent his Holy Spirit to help us with that. He sent his Spirit to give us power to live in the freedom from the things that hurt us, the things that are not good for us. And so in this way, it's not just self-help. I think it's very, very biblical. And there might not be a better place to show this Then Galatians chapter 6. It says this, that you will always harvest what you plant. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature. What seems right. What feels good. What will get me by for a minute. What will help me feel better in the moment. Those who continue to focus as if those things are most important. Those who continue to live in a way that everyone else lives. Those who continue to live in just what feels good in the moment. Who plant and invest and to sow into those things. Those will reap destruction. But those who live to please the Spirit and follow His ways and His plan and the way that He has set out for us to do things. And those who discipline themselves to plant into the things in life that will bring us the win, that will help us run this race in a way that we can win. But for those people, they will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. And then he follows it up with this, but don't get tired. Don't get tired of doing good. And isn't this ultimately where so many of us find ourselves? We find ourselves getting tired of doing what is good. Maybe it's because we don't see the results fast enough. You know what will happen if you decide, I, I, I want that health. I know that I need to be healthy and able, in order to continue to build the kingdom and to continue to be the spouse and the grandfather and the whatever. To every, I know I need to get in better health if I'm going to do that. So if you go tomorrow and you decide, like, oh, I'm really motivated by that message yesterday. I'm going to get a YMCA membership, and you go and you work out for an hour, do you know what will happen when you go home and you look in the mirror? Nothing. When you go Tuesday and you wake up again, I'm I'm up at 5 a.m. I got to be at the gym so I can work out for an hour and go home and take a shower. You get out of the shower, you look in the mirror, you know what will happen? Nothing. When we don't see overnight results, sometimes we get weary in doing the things that we know are good. But you know what will happen if you take a picture tomorrow in the mirror after you went to the YMCA and you look at it six months from now when you've went day after day after day after day, you'll see the results you want. You know what happens six months from now when you bend over to tie your shoe and you're not out of breath? It's results. Do you know what will happen if you go on a date tomorrow night? We're going to do that date night thing, honey. We're going to do it. And then you do it two weeks in a row. You do it three weeks in a row. And you're like, I don't really feel any more connected to you. No, not really. We should probably just save our money. It's too much trouble getting a sitter anyway. When, when did you realize? When did you fall in love with the person that you're married to? Was it when they bought you flowers the right amount of times and then you were like, oh, I love him. 
He bought me flowers 10 times. That's what I was looking for. I love him now. No, it was when he had a really, really great day and he was excited to tell you, but as soon as he saw you, he saw that you really had a difficult day. And instead of sharing his news with you, he said, tell me about your day. I can tell something's going on. It was when he went to the refrigerator, instead of getting just himself a water, he got you a water too, without you even asking. It was when he picked up the tab for meal after meal after meal after meal after meal to show you that you were valuable to him. It was when he walked to your side of the car and he opened the door time after time after time. And somewhere in there, you realized, I, I love him. Somewhere in there, you realized, I, I love her. When, when did your spouse become a really, really great spouse? And you decided, I'm going to stick with this after all. Was it after the hundredth load of laundry that she did? Was it after the 125th meal that she prepared? Was it after she complimented you X amount of times to show you that she loved and respected you? No. But somewhere in there, the consistency over time produced something that you knew you couldn't live without. When did you grow? I've got 10 meals now, and now I grew to six feet tall from an infant. No, it doesn't work like that. It's one meal after the next meal. It's one workout at the gym after the next one. It's one moment with God and then having another moment with God. It's making church a priority because sermon after sermon after sermon after sermon somehow adds up and all of a sudden you're strong when the things come that hit you that you didn't see coming. All of a sudden you're becoming the kind of person that serves other people. You're becoming the kind of person in your life that you, you would like other people to be for you. You go out of your way to do things for others. Somehow you're able to extend grace for other people when they mess up and they fail and all of a sudden you realize I used to be this negative critical person and now I'm not. You probably won't be able to point back to any single one sermon that anyone preached that changed everything for you but it was over and over and over and over again. We often underestimate what small, regular, consistent, everyday decisions can do. They may mean nothing on their own. I'm just going to feed my brothers again. I'm just going to take care of the sheep again. I'm just going to do my daily three-day of prayer thing again. I'm just going into the training room again, like Paul said. But it's those everyday, consistent decisions over time that equal the results that we all want. That equal stepping into and walking in the life that God has for us. Sometimes we get discouraged in doing good simply because it's not happening fast enough. Could we be consistent this year with focusing on something that is really, really important? And the last thing I think that we get discouraged because we assume false identity on ourselves. There are many stories that we tell ourselves. Well, I'm just not fill in the blank. I'm just not good with people. So even though I would like to have some of those meaningful relationships, I'm just not good with people, so I'm not going to do that. Well, I just have an addictive personality, and we assume that identity. We assume that label on us. I just have an identity. I just have an addictive personality, so so I'll just, I'll just keep this thing. I'll never be able to defeat that. I'll never be able to overcome that. I, I, I'm okay. I, I just have this smoking. I just need a drink or two just to take the edge off. I'm just, it's okay. I can, I can, I can handle that. I'm good with that. I'm not good enough. I don't deserve. If people, if people only knew how bad I really was, if people only knew the things that I really thought on the inside, I don't deserve to have a great marriage. I don't deserve for my kids to think I'm a great dad. I don't deserve for other people to think that I'm a good person. We tell ourselves these things and we assume a false identity. But there is hope. This is not just self-help. This is Christ's 
help. And what he says in Romans chapter 6 is that the sin, the sin that fights against, that wrestles against, that comes against the life that God has for us, no longer has its power. Christ came so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. We are no longer slaves to the way that we've always done things. We are no longer slaves to the pressure that other people put on us. We are no longer slaves to do what everyone else thinks we should do and live for their approval. We are no longer slaves to what the culture says works. We are no longer slaves to just do what everyone else says to do. We are no longer slaves to do what's selfish and actually leads us to a destructive path. We are no longer slaves to that. But because of Christ, we can win. We can not just be in the race like everyone else, but we can run the race to win. And we can implement these disciplines in our lives that will lead us to the life that he has planned for us all along. Because of Christ, sin loses its power in our life. It has no power. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And this morning, for every single person, yes, that is, it's worth, it's worth clapping for. We are no longer slaves, but we are free. And in a moment, as our servers are preparing to give communion, I want us to realize that Christ has freed us Christ has freed us to not just make New Year's resolutions, but to live in a rhythm that will set us free. And so this morning, as you're praying, as you're receiving the communion, I want you to ask God, God, what, what is wildly important in my life? What elevates itself above everything else? What is it that needs to become wildly important to me this year? What, what measure? What is my scoreboard? How will I know that I'm winning? And what daily actions do I need to take? What actions do I need to take to pursue this? I believe that there's a lot of life in the answers to these questions. And I believe that God withholds nothing good from those who seek him. He says, seek me first. Seek my ways. Seek my plans. Seek my desires for your life. And all the other stuff builds on that rhythm. So in this moment, could we seek God? Could we receive communion knowing that it's his sacrifice that took away the power of sin that works against his plans and his direction and fulfillment for our life. Father, we thank you for this moment. I pray that our hearts would be completely open to how you want to challenge us, to how you want to work in us. I pray that you would give us the courage and the strength and the determination to be in this fight to win. That the disciplines and the critical actions that we need to take on a regular basis would be so clear to us that we can establish this life-giving rhythm in our lives. We thank you for setting us free. 